Life sucks, doesn't it? I hate people. Yes, I do too. Me too. Suck. Other than that, how are we? I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen to the Prophets, the Deep Space Nine podcast where we review every single episode of the Star Trek series Deep Space Nine, and we are rapidly coming to a conclusion as we motor through Season 7 and are now in the final 10-hour story arc. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am joined today, as usual, by Sir Andrew Leyland, Guten Tag, young friends. Dr. Bill Robinson. Get your motor running. And Mr. Head Dave out Mascarella. on the Greenway. Oh, sorry, I cut you off. You stepped on <laughs> Dave. He's got a big footprint on him. <laughs> I'm used to being stepped on. It's a hard life we live here. It's a hard knock life. For us. For you. Just, just stop, please. Andy's a, Andy is a huge Annie fan. He grew up thinking was, he, he grew up thinking it was Andy <laughs> until, he, until he got older and found out it was Annie. <laughs> and then I watched it and I was like, "What the?" <laughs> he came out for Halloween one year and he had the little button eyes and the little red wig on and, and dress. <laughs> I read the comic adaptation. Nobody told me there was singing. <laughs> I don't even know where to go with this. So. Any any Star Trek news for us to talk about, gentlemen? Um, uh, no. All right. I, I think I'll, a negative. I'll, I'll tell you. You know, as we record this, we are not too too far removed. It's a couple of weeks uh, from uh, Sean Engel's birthday. Yay! And when I saw that it was Sean's birthday, I got a little melancholy and I got a little nostalgic. And I went back and I listened to some of the early episodes of this show. And, you know, time has a way of clarifying things. And, boy, he was good. He really, really did a great job of wrangling me and Andy. (laughs) Yeah, he he was good at keeping our focus. He he really, really was. Not only with that, but he he added a lot of insight on top of that. But but he did it all, like, effortlessly. He seemed... He seemed like he was joining in the shenanigans, but clearly he was steering us. It, it was great. Yeah, he was like dad. You know, only, when only we fun. went, <laughs> we, I, I got to meet Sean at uh, Star Wars uh, celebration in Orlando years ago, and one of the things that he he actually said when we were all running around and and stuff, and and he's like. 
God, this is like wrangling cats. <laughs> Trying to keep all of you together and on track. He, he was clearly very good at it. <laughs> so uh, he, had, he had a skill, and besides just being a great guy. Anyway, that it's it's made me a little melancholy for that friendship, and I just figured I'd bring that up because I'd share my my thoughts and feelings, which I don't know. He still withers every oh, I, time I, we do I, this. I truly believe he's he's listening to every episode, and I believe that he's happy that we've gotten this far and that we you know we fully expect to complete the job. I, I think he was happy that we finished. Uh, Firefly, and I think he's happy that we're finishing this. So, enough enough of the uh, bringing everybody down. Today, yeah, we're here it's to, not bringing everybody down. Today we're here to uh, discuss to discuss till death do us part, season seven, episode number eighteen, directed by Winrich Colby. A revelation. They say that Marion Cassidy is a mistake. A transformation. I've been waiting for you. An interrogation. What? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Colby. Uh, written by David Weedle and Bradley Thompson, with featured music by David Bell. The guest cast is extensive. We have Mark Alamo for, as Ducat, Casey Biggs as Dumar. Dumar. Jeffrey Combs as Wayun, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, <laughs> Louise Fletcher as Kai Wynn, Barry Jenner as Admiral Ross, Salome Jens as the female changeling, Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Deborah Lacey as Sarah Sisko, and James Otis as Soblor. The plot is somewhat short because it is a, it's continuing from the last one and it will leave us off to continue to the next one as will all of the episodes for the uh, balance of the season. <clears throat> Kai Wynn visits DS9 and tells the emissary that she will officiate his marriage to Yates, and not the Vedic that Sisko chose. After le- leaving Sisko's office, Wynn has what she thinks is her first vision from the prophets ever. They say that the Sisko has faltered, that the prophets have chosen her for a great task, and that she will be guided... Excuse me, and that she will be aided by a guide who has the wisdom of the land. Dax and Worf continue arguing even after being separate, separately interrogated by the Breen. Worf's jealousy of Jun- Julian Bashir is confirmed when Ezri drowsily declares her love for him. Ducat arrives at DS9 and visits Kai Wen, posing as Angel Tenen, a Bajoran farmer whose life was spared during the occupation by Wynne's intervention. Wynne believes then that this this is the man that the prophet sent to be her guide, someone who has the wisdom of the land. Wynne and Angel quickly become very close to the disapproval of Solbar, one of Wynne's aides. Cassidy is angry when Benjamin tells her what the prophet said of their engagement to be married. Despite a discussion with Kira Norris, and another vision from the prophets reaffirming their warning, Benjamin marries Cassidy in a last-minute ceremony officiated by Admiral Ross. Wayun orders Damar to go on a trip aboard a Jem'Hadar ship with him, but doesn't tell him where. Arriving at the rendezvous point, some Breen soldiers beam in along with Dax and Worf. Wayun announces that the Breen have allied themselves with the Dominion. So, uh, we... 
basically, you know what? What I, I feel like, you know, we're just kind of moving the plot along. So there's not a lot of big character things here. Uh, what I saw as the key character thing was Benjamin kind of faltering a little bit and not knowing whether or not to listen to the prophets or to go ahead and do what his heart was telling him to do. And I thought it was portrayed really realistically because he shared that probably with more people than he should and was like getting opinions. I mean, of all people, he mentions it to Kai Wynn, somebody who is as far from a trusted advisor as, as you're going to find. Uh, but then, you know, he's talking to Kira about it. He's talking to, you know, he, he's just, he's clearly obsessed with it because he knows he wants to listen to the prophets, but he also knows what his heart is telling him. Uh, so I thought that was pretty realistic in the way that they presented it. Uh, and then, you know, the other key point, as far as I was concerned, was while the Breen have never been a significant part of this show, to have them now on the side of the Dominion when they've been presented as a uh, you know a viable strength, uh, you know, in in the quadrant, is another thing to possibly balance things out with the fact that the Federation had pulled in the Romulans last season. So. It's not a lot of different things to talk about, but there is still a lot of movement forward, if that makes any sense. I also think we're seeing, you know, uh, DeMar's uh, becoming very disillusioned, you know, very rapidly disillusioned with the Dominion. And that'll, you know, have some repercussions as we go on as well. So overall, I really enjoyed this. What do you guys think? Chewbacca agrees with you. And you see, I didn't think there was a lot of forward momentum to it. I honestly thought that apart from a couple of the last scenes, it kind of spins its wheels a little bit. I mean, how many times does Cisco have the same conversation about the marriage? And I kind of feel we spent a little bit too much time with Dax and Worf in the cell instead of moving that forward. And it felt like, basically, it was the Vadak, Win and Ducat story that was carrying this one. And that led me to a question. Did she have a genuine profit vision, or was she manipulated by the Parathes? Oh, I think she was manipulated. Right, because I was a little bit unsure of that at first, but the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, no, that's far too coincidental to be a, a proper orb vision. And I it, think it was also very, very dark the way they showed it. So I don't, I don't recall when Ben has had his visions it being that dark. So that, that no, made me feel like that no. was a symbol of the Pa Wraiths being the uh, manipulators there. Right. No, because so, when he was just talk, talking to Sarah, it wasn't that well well lit either. It was. I thought it was more well lit than this. <laughs> I thought it was significantly well, more well lit. I'd have to compare them. I didn't do that. Well, um. Because, uh, all right, well, if you go on to one of the first pictures that's on me- me- Memory Alpha of this episode shows the scene when Cisco has his uh, head on his mother's breast, and, and that is kind of dark right there. But this, but it's on the station, so the station's dark, too. But you could tell just by the way that the quote-unquote prophet said, this one will serve us well, mm. that those were the paw race. They weren't. These were not the prophets. These weren't the prophets you're looking for. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Plus, it was all kind of coincidental how she just finishes telling Cisco, well, I've never had a vision from the prophets. And two seconds later, (laughs) wow! The opportunists that the Parathes are, they they heard that and said, ooh, here's somebody who's ripe for the taking. Hmm. Yeah, but they've obviously been planning this anyway, because with Dukat... Yeah, they said the wheel's in motion with Dukat. Yeah, because he's, you know, the farmer from the land... And I, I did like that. I love how thickly Ducat lays that on. And I love him appealing to Wynne's vanity and ego because essentially he's talking to a mirror. So he knows exactly how to manipulate her. Now, I don't he's also remember... manipulating what, what he knows are her opinions of Ben. That mm. ben, ben isn't Bajoran, he should have never been chosen. So I, I think, you know, he, he's playing it exactly right to just, you know, to use the puppet I, strings on her. I have one, I don't, I guess, quibble um, about the whole Ducat thing. Now, I don't remember how many other cast members he's going to have interaction with at, in his Bajoran disguise. But doesn't anybody recognize his voice? Under the years, he was there. Occupier, yeah. shouldn't they know his voice in an instant? He does have uh, a very distinctive voice. I was thinking the same thing, Bill. I mean, I'm just like, come on. Now, you can let it go with Kai Wynn because she's so enamored that she's had a prophet vision and she's just so wrapped up in herself that she wouldn't notice. But she was in the resistance. You can't... And, and if we see him interacting with more people later, like, especially Kira... You can't tell me she better recognize his voice. I don't remember if she ever does or who he, he's around. Uh, maybe he purposely keeps a low profile and doesn't speak when he... Uh, keep an eye on that as we go forward because I'm really curious to see who he talks to. Or like Odo, for that matter, if he hmm. ever... He ha- I'm not they sure have he interacts to, with any of them. I'm not sure that, that he does. We're going to have to wait and see. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I love the little character bits in this one more than anything. I love Kira's sulky, petulant attitude to Ben getting married anyway. Oh, yeah. Always <laughs> oh, no, she's trying to make small talk. Oh, I, I yeah. hope the prophets don't get angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I hope they don't either. Yeah, Whoa. Kira's really pissed off about it. And I love that Admiral Ross's wedding speech was the same one that Picard and Kirk gave. Yes. Yes, I, I noticed that as well, and I liked that. I thought that, that was a nice touch, that they've carried that tradition on, that the captain's wedding vows are pretty much word for word, whatever and whoever's doing it. And I, I, there's, there's something genuine about that, I think, that they have a script that they follow. There was something that I hadn't noticed, which is odd, considering... All right, so Benjamin's uh, middle name is... Lafayette. Lafayette, which my son's first name is Benjamin and his middle name is Luke. That my son has the same first two initials as Captain Sisko. Benjamin Sisko. So my son is the Robinson. He's he's the emissary. (laughs) (laughs) It would explain a lot. But was that a conscious choice? Because Deep Space... When you were naming your child, how do we know? I don't know. That's what I'm like. Wait a minute. Was I influenced somehow? <laughs> I mean, because I always thought I did it because uh, because of Star Wars. 
Um, oh, Jean Luc. Or, or yeah, but it was like, wait, wait, wait a minute. Maybe he's Ben Luke. Maybe oh, Ben Luke Robinson. Yeah, there you go. I'm totally down with BL, BLR. BLR. In fact, I like one of them from Subway. I was going to say, that sounds like a delicious sandwich. <laughs> Bologna lettuce and romaine. I don't know. I'll have a BLR. Um, as usual, Worf took the breakup sex to mean that they're now married. Oh, God. God, he's, he's like a little boy, isn't he? And we will have many years. We will have many years together. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up, buddy. Easy, easy. Back the truck up. It's like that clingy girlfriend or something. You're like, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. So you're saying he's a clingy clinger? <laughs> hey. hey, he's a clingy. That's... So the uh, the original story, according to Memory Alpha, was not going to be that the prophets were against him getting married. They were against him building a house on Bajor. But then I heard that the original thing was going to be if he wore that outfit, they were going to be against it, and he was going to have a life of misery. <laughs> <laughs> and they they changed you know, it from the house to the to the wedding because the house seemed kind of insignificant in comparison, and I have to agree. Well, Although, one of the one of the things I noticed, sorry about, was when I said to, I didn't feel like this had a great deal of forward momentum, and then I just read on Memory Alpha that they changed the details of the plot around. They weren't supposed to get married in this episode. No, they were supposed to get married next week on an old mm. episode. <laughs> But, I like the I, shot. I think it makes sense that that they up the stakes a little bit with, you know, I mean, they tell him he can't move to Bajor. It's like, okay, I'll find a new neighborhood to live in. He could go with the psoriasis people and live wherever they relocated. <laughs> he could move. He could move on up to the east side. Yeah, but you know what I mean. The, the significance of that, it's like, oh, you know, well, yeah, I, I understand you really want to live there, and it's too bad you're not going to get to live that dream out. But it's not so life altering <laughs> that, uh, you know, that the stakes don't seem as high as getting married on the other hand he and Cassie could have just lived together they should have just eloped yep like yeah that's not, what they should have done I like not really I married. how Kai Wynn was like oh I should be the one to marry you so, oh, I know what a so -and -so will understand. let me interject myself yeah. into let your wedding let me insert wedding. myself into this thing that the prophets have decreed what a cow I love that I thought that was great I thought that it's, was, Al, it's, it's so it's fitting to her character. Perfectly in character, yeah. Cow Win, is that her new name? Yes. Cow. Cow Win. <laughs> Moo. Cowabunga. Oh, so uh, I like the shot when they bring the camera down and they're looking at the top of the house in the ring and they're looking at Cisco's face and they, you know, it's like he's. You know, because he's contemplating the future, looking out over the house and the ring after Quark brought his Torellian diamond, which are hard to come by and very expensive. And we don't get And you're not getting a refund. Yeah. <laughs> very funny line. Up there with, um, what do you think it all means? It means Dr. Bashir is a breed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't suppose that wolf tried to be funny. Oh, was no, he genuinely I so. hoping? I, I, I don't free. know because Worf is already. He's. Uh, uh, he's frustrated and angry. Mm. 
I mean, he shouldn't be frustrated. I mean, she just came back from being tortured, you idiot. You know, come on. Just back off. I I can understand where he'd be frustrated or disappointed that, you know, she's revealing her true feelings and that he's not the one she's enamored with. Okay, but now is but, not but the to time. to confront her with it is just incredibly selfish and, incon- you know, just just ridiculous. I mean, it seems like however much they advance Worf as a character, they kick him back. I don't know. Yeah, no, they, they do. That was, that was not an appropriate reaction from him. You know, he's the great, you know, warrior and, and well, not a really good father. Um, <laughs> no, he's a shit father. But we will have many children, and I will abandon all of them. <laughs> I will the care more will be about happy to raise all of them. I will care more about Kiriyoshi than my own child. My parents have nothing better to do than raise my children. It is the warrior way. Uh, and I, <laughs> and I will never play soccer again. <laughs> Since I, will, I killed that man. I will teach each of the children how to play soccer. <laughs> My backstory is full of tragedy. But you know, it kind of makes sense because he's a warrior who's always at war. So she comes back, she says something he doesn't like. We're at war over this now. Uh, war, war, war. Let's go, go back to Kaiwin for a minute. What do you think in her mind is going to be the result of her forming an alliance with, you know, I forget what his fake name was, with Dukat. What does what she, does she think, you know, she's going to be... The new emissary. She's going to be the new emissary, and yeah. she's going to, I, you know, she's, she's being geared up to sacrifice a certain portion of the Bajoran people? Yes, now, we the, must... We must destroy the land in order to make it more fertile. I mean, ultimately, Cisco is the prof- is the emissary of the prophets, and Dukat is the emissary of the Pa Raids. Now, I, I don't think they had that planned out from the beginning, but does it all line up perfectly? That that should be the case. Oh, did I- they meet off in the end? That they, well, that I, they are each the emissary of the opposing. I would say yes. Beings. I don't think it was like that. It wasn't. I don't think they had that plan way in the beginning, though. I think that just Mark 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 kind of grew into that. And I must say, it's nice to see him. Uh, that he, I think he, I, uh, I feel that he does have some acting chops when he's that he could, he's can. Even though you see him, you could see him as Dakot under that facade, and think maybe like, how could she buy this? But he is—he's pulled it off. He's believable as the lowly, you know, the lowly farmer. Mm. You think? <clears throat> see, see, his character is the one I had the problem with the most in this episode, because just thinking about the way the world is today. They're in a situation where they're at war. Somehow Dukat manages to get across a war zone, adopt an identity, get onto Deep Space Nine, get in to see 
a very, very important Bajoran official with no problem at all. He has this whole story about his farm and his brother. Nobody checks anything out. No, no, you're right, because yeah, a, a, um, a butler basically says, there's somebody here to see you, and she says, oh, let him in. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not the same position, but I don't think you could get in to see the Pope that easily, or the Probably Archbishop. No, no. no but I think she is supposed to be the corresponding, at the corresponding level for the Bajoran religion, so I, I don't think that's a bad comparison. Yes, And I, someone who's getting so wrapped up with her... Nobody, an aide doesn't, let's run this guy through the system and make sure he's on the level. It's, it's like Jack Ruby. Right. right. <laughs> hey. Oh, guys, all right, let him in. The guy's here who owns the local strip club. Should I let him in? Of course, let him in. Yeah, no, that, that, I agree with you. That, that does seem a little... Uh, like, like a little unnatural, yeah. And and you, I could see this doesn't bother me, but I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Uh, I could see where the whole Ducat becoming the emissary. Not that it's not a natural place to end, but that the transformation to that happened too rapidly. I could see people making that argument that it didn't occur over time and naturally. Uh, you know, really, you know, late in the sixth season, we just had the Pirates kind of uh, make a connection to him. Uh, I, I, I could see where it might have played slightly better if it had been more gradually progressed. Again, excuse me, again, it didn't bother me, but I could see where it could have been improved upon. What do you think? Agree. 100%. That also it also could have put him in more of a position of power to have arranged the meeting with Kai Wynn, which will ultimately set up that uh, that situation. You know what might have been better if he had done this more gradually, and then she had the Parath vision, and then she sought him out and found him. Right, because then you'd have the whole well, you came to me. Yeah, I, I think that might have that might have been a, a more richly written version did you like the touch when he grabbed Kai Wynn's hands the first time and she kind of looked at him like who the hell are you to touch my goddamn hands get your stinking dirty paws (laughs) off me farmer (laughs) for some reason I kept hearing green acres in the background when that was going down (laughs) I win is the dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you got it. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, sorry. I, I, I see. This is the process I go through when I create a parody song. But just just to, to revisit what we talked about in the last episode, uh, it, in things that I've watched since our last recording, it seems like every time you turn around, somebody from one particular race is having surgery to look like they're from a different planet. And successfully doing so, uh, so I, I I just think it's the nature of Star Trek plastic surgery that they can do that, which clearly has its roots in the Kardashians. Yes. 
also, uh, it's nice that um, I I was waiting for Demar when Ducat's going. I see the man. You know what happened to that officer that stood beside me as we fought the entire Klingon Empire in one ship? And then he's like, "I'm going now." Blah blah blah. I I so I so badly wanted Demar to lean in and go, "Kiss me." <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> Oh God! So the Breen or Bosch Bush Light, right? They just got back from Tatooine. <laughs> now I I read a book. Uh, it was what was it? Can I? I can't even remember now. I think it was one of the Commander Riker books that was on Audible. Not, uh, but he was Admiral Riker. Admiral. Uh, and it, Admiral. And it had some stuff with the Breen, and I think they described the Breen. Let me see. This is what Mimi Alpha says. I guess they are kind of cat-like, maybe, actually. No. You better watch out for that Alvin. Yeah, Alvin could be a Breen. He puts on a little... I want one of those outfits on. You know you're in trouble. He's an infiltrator. Ah, Breen. Here we go. Let me pull up the Breen and see if they show pictures. Not here. Maybe that's maybe maybe the book canon's different. I, I I will endeavor and search. Hmm. A, a, anybody else ever seen a Breen? Or are they like the Mandalorians, where Breen is a culture, not I a. Believe, uh, I don't believe they've ever shown in any uh, live action version of Star Trek. I don't think they've ever shown the Breen without their. Uh, and everything on them, so I don't think we've ever seen the actual physical body underneath all of that. Unless any of you have seen something that I haven't in that regard. And I'll take the silence to say no, you have not. Mm, I was just trying to think if we see anything in the remaining episodes, but I can't think of anything. I don't don't think we do that either. I don't know. They really are... Uh, and not to spoil too far ahead, but they really are merely a plot point just to to give the uh, you know to give the Dominion extra muscle because they don't really serve any other purpose than that that I can recall. And I think there's a little bit of comic relief when when they speak to you know people with their whatever it is high pitched squeals or whatever the, that sound that they have is, and that people respond to them. It's almost like I am Groot. Oh, these are all these are. They remind me more of the Death Troopers, to be honest. <laughs> wow. What? 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 I can't hear you through your helmet. Could you speak up? And he he lifts it up and goes. <laughs> oh, never mind. Put the helmet back there. <laughs> No, he goes. I said. <laughs> oh, now it makes perfect sense. Thank you for clarifying. Why did you say so? <laughs> Any other points to make on this one? No, it is kind of. Uh, it's it's lean. Uh, I kept waiting for Penny to say when. Uh, Penny Cassidy. Penny. Penny, uh, uh, use her uh, a real name. Um, when Ben's explaining to her how he can't marry her, 
Sure, you do what your mother wants, but you don't want to do what I want. <laughs> your mom? You always put your mom first. That's oh, God. You, you turn tootin' there, uh, Cassidy. <laughs> so, I guess we'll rate this. I thought this was a good episode. I enjoyed it. I thought it did have some gravitas to it. We have been getting married. We have uh, a furtherance of Kai Wynn and uh, Gul Dukat's uh, little schemes. We have Damar kind of, you know, getting disenchanted with the Dominion. Uh, I agree that the Worf and Dax thing was kind of focused on a little bit more than it needed to be. I think it could have been cut in half, really. Uh, but uh, but other than that, I thought it was an enjoyable episode that moved along rather briskly. It does definitely play better if you watch it on a con- you know just on a binge instead of just watching this episode as a standalone. But I still thought you know this particular chapter was enjoyable, so I'm going to put it as a little better than average, and I'm going to say a 3.5. I thought it was all right. Uh, I mean, I didn't particularly care for the Wharf and Esri scenes. I thought it was a little bit over the top. I had a few issues, as I've said, with the whole Dukat able to just arrive and bypass all kinds of security, get across a war zone. But it was all right. I, I really liked the wedding part. So as a total, uh, I gave it a three. Three, three diamond rings. Three diamond rings don't shine for me anymore. Uh, I guess I'll give it uh, three cans of um, three cans of paste. <laughs> three cans of green green droppings. Hmm. Green was... drops keep falling off. <laughs> You know, it was quick. I will say that, but it didn't really move anything that much further ahead. And we got the new, the all new Dakot, the new model, new and improved for nineteen ninety nine. The new Ducati, the Ducati. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with three as well. I thought it was good. I enjoyed it, but I did even without reading the memory alpha. I did think there was some shenanigans going on with the writing a little bit. But I, I see the thing is, I think the shenanigans improve it. See, I I felt it just wheel spin a little bit too much. Not very much changes in this forty-four minutes. And given that you're on the last nine, each episode kind of should be a little bit more fast-moving. I mean, I, I, I admit that's me, not the show. But let's address that for a second, because I was thinking that earlier, and I didn't bring this up, because we said, well, they're kind of wheel-spinning. But now, in the past, we have actually said, oh, well, how convenient it is that they, you know, you have to wrap everything up in 45 minutes. I know we've said that, and I think all of us at some point or another. So here we're given a chance to do it in, you know, over nine hours to actually wrap up these plot lines and take time. So we're going to get episodes that are going to be spinning its wheels, but this is the same thing we've been not complaining, but you know, making fun of, saying, "Oh, how convenient! Everything's wrapped up so quickly." 
you know, yeah, are, but are we that's... being a little hypocritical? No, we're not. Our... That's yes, when yes, you are. You got... are. You're being hypocritical. No, we're not. Shut up. <laughs> that's when they have only got 45 minutes to wrap it up. You would think that when they know they've got a set amount of time to tell this lengthy story, they know they've got 10 episodes of 44 minutes, to at the last minute tell the writer of the next episode, wait a minute, we're pulling something from your episode into this episode, you'd think, and I think this one proves it, that that has a domino effect on a certain, on the way the story is being told. Mm. And I personally just felt the Wharf Dax stuff was a little bit more repetition than it needed to be, and I felt Cisco talked and said the same thing to too many people. They should have done it like they did with the interrogation sequence with Section 13, where you see him say something, and then it's a different person responding to him, and then he says the next sentence, and then it's another different person. So you're not seeing the same conversation four or five times you're seeing him having the same conversation with five people over a much more compressed amount of time but then you've not got 44 minutes in this episode and that I think you can say that that's my problem with how they approach telling the story it's not a problem with them and how they're doing it and i'd partially agree with you because there is nothing actually wrong with this show we've had a little bit of fun with it but there's nothing wrong with how they're telling the story i just felt that the choices didn't necessarily work for me totally and completely in this one episode Okay. them responsible for your shortcomings exactly right yes that is exactly what I just said in in all but you just still stilled it down to its burr essence well done and as you should well what could I tell you you know it, it is ew, what it is bear, bear essence ew how do you even get that ew. it's it's Yogi Burr's uh, new fragrance oh a little penicillin clears it right up, though. Don't worry. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Ode de picnic basket. Yes. Yeah. Smarter than the average bear. Yeah, I don't like this yogi. <laughs> so that Let's whole... get to what does Blaine say. What does Blaine say? <laughs> what does do... Blaine say? What does he say? Why do we care? I don't know. I live in a cave. I don't know the theme to Yogi, but I can do the Flintstones. Let's find out what uh, Blaine says. Uh, Let's get with the uh, reading the emails. There, Polly Boy. All I know is he's smarter than the average bear, and he likes picnic baskets. Smarter than the average podcaster. So Blaine says, "Hi guys, (laughs) ah, the reveals. Ducat's plan is starting to appear, although it seems to hinge on Kai Win not recognizing his voice." Let's face it, surgical alteration to mask your species has been around long enough that the thought should cross a suspicious mind, and Mark Alamo's voice is rather distinctive. I suppose it's not too far to reach that her vision from the prophets... Wow! I swear I did not read his email. I swear. ...connected strongly enough to her hopes that she's blinding herself to that which is obvious to the audience at home. On the Worf Dax front, it seems Worf never heard about the time Ducat and Kira stole the gear from the Breen to go undetected in indiscretion. I still can't look at the Breen and not immediately think of Leah undercover in Java's palace. 
it's like the design was intended as a one-time homage and then the species just started to grow and develop still they've been name checked enough times that there is some weight to Wayun's statement that the alliance changes everything finally Cisco remarried and the reaction of the prophets indicates that the future is not set in stone since the prophets experienced nonlinear time if the future was written in stone then you wouldn't think they'd give the Cisco instructions since he's only had one possible path ahead of him. Now I'm wondering about how be beings that are nonlinear in time would process multiple futures and why they wouldn't understand tenses in the pilot since you'd think the future, future to them would be the uncertain part of their experience. Good point, Blaine. I totally agree with that and that's, that's a fascinating thought. Alternatively, they do only experience one future, and they tell the Cisco what he needs to hear just because that's what exists in the only time they know, and nobody in the Star Trek universe has free will. The metaphysics and philosophical possibilities get to be quite the rabbit hole if you demand there be a single consistent explanation for everything we see from the pilot to the series finale. Blaine. Yeah, I do think that's a, a good point, and it's one I had been thinking about last episode and then totally forgot so I'm glad Blaine reminded us uh, yeah I, I was mean, told if, there if would not be metaphysics if, if, if there is no linear future for them if it all exists at once then there is no possibility for alteration and therefore it doesn't matter there's no point in giving him instructions to not marry Cassidy because he's going to and they know he's going to so I prefer to look at it from the perspective that there are potential alternate futures that they're uh, looking at, kind of like Doctor Strange in uh, Infinity War, uh, because otherwise, you know, it does take away all free will and really the purpose of them even trying to influence things one way or the other. Unless, like he said, it's predestined, but they have to still nudge to make sure it happens somehow. I, I, I it gets, it gets to be very. You know, it makes my brain hurt. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, it's a good point, and it's, it's definitely, you know, gives some deep thoughts, or it creates some deep thoughts to be had. But that'll be it for this one. We have some email if anybody's uh, prepared to do a little reading. It's not my contract to read it since I did the episode. Uh, I, we're running out of time. Because we're a bit later than usual. Okay, so then you know what? We'll save the email for next time. On okay. Episode. What are we doing next time besides reading email, Andy? Uh, next time on our all new episode of Listen to the Prophets, Strange Bedfellows, which is 45 minutes of Kai Wynn and Ducat making the beast with two backs. Can't wait. The Federation's most ruthless adversaries sign a pact of evil. We need the brain to win this war. Starfleet's bravest heroes face a sentence of death. You will be found guilty and executed. And Bajor's most powerful leader is sleeping with the enemy. The prophets have turned their backs on me. They're not worthy of you. In the throes of war, strange bedfellows unite on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Ah. Maybe we'll see you in four weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye-bye. All right, guys. As a yogi, I don't want to have...
No, that just didn't work at all. <laughs> I lost I lost my inner boo-boo. Listen to the Prophets at Deep Space Nine Podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the 2TrueFreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. You know what I bought myself? Did I? I may have mentioned this. I got something, two. So, was it something frilly that makes you feel pretty? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Not really. <laughs>